0: hello and welcome back to the music creative podcast and with me today i have a very special person doctor doctor no less richard malloy how are you richard
1: not too bad thanks for having me on man
0: well thank you for coming on uh, it's not often we have a doctor here i should clarify first not a medical doctor so if you're on a plane he's not your man but he is a, a is a doctorate of composition isn't it richard
1: that's right yeah
0: so before i talk any more about you richard how would you describe yourself as a musician
1: it's a big question. I do a lot of things, and um, some of them good. I hope. Um, on paper, you brought up the doctorate thing. I did um, at my doctorate in in composition, so that was a good few years of me doing really experimental composition. Um, so I did a, a lot of work with acoustic instruments, uh, doing weird stuff with kind of custom software and live performance, and that's what my thesis was on, basically making cellists and flautists and all those sorts of lovely people do stuff they're not used to doing and so that was kind of the idea there and as for me as a musician my background would be kind of in instrumental music probably the same as yourself I started by playing bass a bit of drums I've been in many different bands uh, done a bit of touring and I suppose as the years have gone by I've got more and more into mixing mastering that sort of thing and so I dabble in that these days a little bit and it's something that I'm spending a lot of time doing. I produce a little bit of music myself as well um, and just I'm just kind of obsessed by sound design and that whole thing as well. So um, I used to teach um, recording and production in uh, UCC and um, so I spent a good few years um, kind of scrambling to kind of earn that position if that makes sense because uh, definitely when I came in I felt like I was, uh, it was, yeah. I was like, why would you be asking me? So I did, I've done a lot of research, a lot of reading to get some of the science behind it. And then I've just been trying to apply that knowledge as much as I can in my own music or when I'm working on someone else's.
0: And just to clarify for all our international listeners, UCC is University College Cork. That's the one, yeah. Very good. So university in South of Ireland. And that's interesting. Can I just pick you up on the point? Why did you find it? It was interesting how they asked you and you you just didn't feel like you were ready for it or...
1: I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I suppose um, I had been doing production for a good while and when they asked, it was kind of, it was really on short notice and I was like, well, how do I explain what it is that I've already done? And yeah, uh, actually the funny story, um, I was producing in Logic, much like you and a lot of your viewers when I uh, started and they asked me to teach a class in production. And I said, okay, you like, I was nervous as I've just kind of explained, but I said, yeah, absolutely, I'll do that. Um, and they said, "Yeah, great. Okay, so it starts in two weeks, and it's Ableton Live is what we have on the the computers here." And <laughs> it was as quick as that. I had to kind of scratch my head and figure out how to use Ableton, and I, I actually ended up liking it. Uh, personally, it's it's the one I use these days for all the production. I like the workflow, um, but it kind of sh- it kind of. Sh- uh, I suppose it shows um, that a lot of those skills are transferable. It's something you shouldn't be nervous about. If you're interested in trying a different DAW, uh, it doesn't actually take that long to switch. Um, I thought I was really embedded because um, I definitely preferred Logic over Pro Tools, because I started on Pro Tools when I was first kind of schooled on how to do those things. And um, When I was doing my masters, there's another one of my years wasted uh, in education. But um, yeah, so um, I was really attached to Logic at the time, but And I suppose that's the way I am with Ableton now at this stage. So that's another little aside there of why I was nervous for sure.
0: Definitely not a year wasted because now you can bring all your fantastic knowledge to all my audience.
1: (laughs) That's it. That was that was the plan from the start.
0: (laughs) But I just want to go furthermore when you say you're enthusiastic and you are obsessed and like so anytime I talk to you about music production, it's so exciting or about mixing or mastering, whatever it is. You're so enthusiastic about it. And it's just so palpable. You know, it's great to hang around with someone in work that's so enthusiastic about audio production. Just like Andy, who we had on the podcast a few weeks ago about live uh, live performance. And another, it's just the three of us there just constantly getting, you know, nerdy over.
1: Talking in circles, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah, there's plenty of that.
0: (laughs) Okay, so recording vocals. Where would you start? Let's start with our mic. Does the mic make much of a difference when you're recording vocals? Whether you go dynamic mic or condenser mic, where would you go? With that
1: yeah absolutely it's a it's a big part of it the entire chain everything that you do um i wouldn't say that any one step would make or break you know getting polished vocals or getting professional sounding vocals but it's as with any of this stuff it's a an additive thing where every little step makes a big difference so the mic is a big part of that for sure um i definitely would advise for people who are just starting out i would probably lean more on the dynamic side because there's there's less to worry about um, um, and the way it captures sound can be a bit more forgiving. Um, and they're just, uh, a, a lot of them, especially if you look at some of the tried and tested kind of Shure microphones like the SM57 or any of the, the beta series as well, they're kind of bulletproof too. So it's a good thing to have. Um, like uh, investing in kind of a sure mic right out the gate is good because um, you're gonna use it if you continue on in music production. Um, if Even if you move on to something else that suits your vocals a bit more, um, you'll still end up using this anytime time you want to record drums. Uh, you might stick it in front of a guitar cabinet. They're really versatile. So um, that's p- why I'd probably say dynamic. I guess as well, before we even talk about a microphone, one thing that comes up as well, um, and I, f- I feel a bit hypocritical talking about it in this space at the moment, but the room that you're in is really important. Um, so uh, a, a thing about the dynamic microphone is that it only captures sound that's directly in front of it, so it, you have to be pretty much right next to it I've got one right here Um, and it captures less of the room as a result less of the sound the ambience of the room and which generally uh, is is something that you don't want in vocals at least that's one of the things that I've noticed anytime I've uh, worked with vocals that were say recorded by someone who's not necessarily professional the first thing I do is uh, start worrying about all the room reverb on it and how I'm gonna make it fit in the new space I'm creating in a mix so I would say Yeah, uh, dynamics are a good place to start. Um, A condenser microphone, you do get to capture more of the room, more of that space, which in a professional situation can be a really good thing. Um, I'd also say they're just a bit more sensitive overall. So, you know, I would say a lot of hard vocals, and what I mean by that would be not just hard styles of music like um, punk or uh, metal, but even if you were doing some pop music, which tends to be kind of in your face, you want the vocals up front, um, a dynamic mic still great for that, but anything that has a bit more kind of particularity and that there you'll be maybe not uh, moving in the direction of a lot of processing and you want to get that kind of really natural sort of dynamic sound, funnily enough dynamic sound condenser mic is the way to go I would say. Uh, and these are just kind of general things as well, there's a whole spectrum of how they sound. They definitely colour your sound in a different way um, but and sometimes people really get kind of obsessed over which exact mic they're using i mean the main thing is the performance of course as well if we're talking about getting things right obviously rehearsing what you're going to sing and not relying on taking 25 takes these are all big things you know and they play into the recording process as well so i think that begins to answer it maybe
0: that's super yeah, exactly. And just to reiterate, so important to get, like, to know what space you're in and if you're in a room that isn't treated because, of course, it gets quite expensive very quickly. Unless you go the cheap route and just throw a duvet over your head. Do you have any... Do you, how, do you, how do you regard that? Out? Yeah,
1: that's that's a, a pretty good one. Um, Anything like that to just kind of separate you a bit from your space. Um, there is a whole movement of people out there treating their rooms for pretty cheap as well. Just going down to the hardware shop and making panels out of Uh, mineral wool, rock wool is the brand that we have in Ireland uh, that it insulates your roof and that sort of thing and that works pretty much just as well as um, most acoustic treatment. I'd say we've kind of hit the nail on the head if you're just starting out and you don't want to spend a couple of hours reading about that sort of thing online, um, yeah, something like a duvet to throw it over um, just to confine the space a little bit um, would make a big difference. The heavier it is, generally the better. and something with a lot of surface area as well. So if you've got a really fancy duvet, you might get a slightly fancier sound as well. So.
0: (laughs) Why are you buying that fancy duvet? Oh, it's just for for this really fancy production recording I'm doing.
1: Yeah, at that stage you might want to think about uh, proofing your room or something, but yeah.
0: (laughs) And interesting, do you you have have any knowledge yourself on how you would sound treat a room if people were looking at how they would go about it? Where do they start? Is it covering up the corners of the, the walls and the ceiling?
1: It's a big topic, um, I guess the main thing, if you've got a room that you've got say big speakers, monitors in um, and there's put, they're pushing a lot of bass, that tends to build up in the corners just like you're talking about there. So you'd be looking at building a bass trap which is something that takes up a lot of space. One of the reasons I haven't got around to treating this room at the moment and why I'm working a lot in headphones, but I still use my monitors quite a bit. Uh, another thing you want to do as well is uh, just look into testing the first reflection points. So wherever it is that the, the sound goes behind your head, you don't want it coming back um, to your head off the wall there. So um, there's, you can look that up um, online. There's all little techniques you can do that are quite clever with mirrors and that sort of thing uh, to see where your monitors are aiming. Obviously they go through your head, You know that's kind of where you're, where you're aiming them at your ears, but then they'll pass into the room behind you and it's, it's good to wherever they're gonna hit first to kind of treat that sound area first
0: that's cool gee i'm learning so much here pop filters important
1: um especially for condensers yes and um, a lot of the shore stuff has a sort of pop filter um built in you can never really be too safe with that and um, even putting an extra one in front of it will make a difference and um, because if a plosive comes through, so usually you get that off a p sound or that sort of thing that's a lot of air that's just hitting the microphone and making it make a big pop, essentially. And you really don't want that. And that's a a tough one to deal with um, afterwards, uh, once it's on the recording. So um, yeah, I would definitely recommend a pop filter. As I say, most dynamics have that built in. So it's not as much of a concern. Absolutely, for a condenser, that is important. They're extremely sensitive. You can nearly hear yourself think through a good condenser. So um, (laughs) yeah, like uh, even just then we would start thinking about, well, is what what's happening outside the room. Is somebody gonna be hoovering next door? Uh, if it's a semi detached house or something, that'll come up um on a on a condenser mic. So yeah, there's definitely some considerations there.
0: And the cheap uh the cheap technique I've always seen with like getting a hanger and, and malleating it or what's the word? <laughs> Beat it around until it becomes kind of circular and then putting tights over the uh the hanger. So there you go. There's your cheap way if you have some
1: that's interesting i don't know do. that's that's uh, that's more hassle than word probably i've actually never <laughs> heard that one that's that's new for me so we're both we're both learning here <laughs>
0: yeah that's good i see it all over the internet but i think you're right it probably is cheaper and uh, probably better time efficiency of just going and buying one they're usually about 10 or 15 euro right yeah or less yeah super So we have our microphone, we have our stand. We're set away from the microphone with a bit of a pop filter. How far away should you be from the mic? Should, uh, I suppose it depends, condenser to...
1: Absolutely. Yeah, dynamic, you want to be up on it. I would say for any of the metal vocalists out there, you don't want to do the infamous cup of the mic. There's all sorts of debates about that sort of thing, um, that people do that on stage, and they think it gives them such and such a sound. Um, Don't do that. Um, That's all I'll say. Uh, That's a whole rabbit hole, but... um, yeah and um, you want to be close to it if it's a dynamic, dynamic mic for sure you want to be a little further away and um, probably within a foot still of um, a condenser mic and um, and i suppose the thing to check the moment you're plugged into your interface preamp whatever it is you need to check your gain straight away so if you can monitor that on the screen see what your levels are like and um, and you want to get them well it depends i guess on your daw i guess um, I can't remember Does logic have kind of a color coding for gain, you know, is it, it's red yes. at the top, obviously, but yeah. is it orange, Yellow, as well? green?
0: Yeah, there is. Yeah. There's orange. Yeah. Green, yellow, orange. I red.
1: suppose in the the loudest part of your song. So you need to think a little bit and say, well, what's the loudest thing that I'm going to do um, uh, in this performance. And this goes for actually most miking techniques. You want to go to the loudest part, get that into, you know, healthily into the orange, um, so that you have a bit of headroom over the top, a bit of working space, so that you're not going to you know, clip the, the preamp, which is usually something you definitely don't want to do. Um, so get into the orange um, and kind of work from there as well.
0: Super. And it, it, would there be a lo- certain dB that you're looking for? I've read, a look, read up online that a lot of people are saying, oh, between minus 12 dB to minus 18 dB.
1: Yeah, so that sounds about right to me. Um, I'd be looking minus 12 as well. The reason you would do that and... I suppose that depends as well on the quality of your mic, um, is that you're trying to eliminate the the kind of ratio of noise to the actual sound you're producing. Um, So anytime you hook up a cable, a microphone, a piece of gear, it generates, for the most part, uh, some sort of noise. So that's kind of like a bit of white noise or whatever it is, just because of the way it operates. And we're dealing with electricity when we're talking about microphones a lot of the time. Um, So you want to have as little of that as possible um, and a lot of signal. Now, if, you, if you're, if you say, only coming in at minus, well, something below minus 18, uh, and then it comes time to mix your, your track, and you're pumping that vocal up 12 dBs or whatever it is, um, you'll find that what comes up with it as you rise the levels is that background noise that's just part of the microphone's normal operating purpose, So or function, I should say. So um, that's something you've really got to look out for and um, that you set that correctly at the start, and then it doesn't bother you during your performance. I would say, if, you know, it's, it's something you need to experiment with, um, how your voice works, it's different for every person as well. That's why, you know, that's quite a big range there of 6dB that they're giving you as your kind of rule. And um, it's because everybody sings different, um, and they'll have kind of different uh, uh, dynamics in the way they sing. Um, but you want to test it for your own music, and definitely do some, You know testing ahead of time and when it's time to record that big track that's going to make you all the money or whatever it is you're looking for uh make sure that it's not the first time you're hooking up your mic and testing it super i love
0: this we're really getting through the nitty-gritty stuff that every single level that you can sometimes forget about even if you're recording daily for a couple of years sometimes you just switch off and you don't even think about it and all of a sudden you've set the wrong input gain and boom there you go you've lost a recording or a moment
1: for sure um i think personally um uh, in live sound situations and lots of situations, I'm always paranoid about the opposite. Um, like, yeah, um, I'm, I'm worried about is is something gonna is something gonna clip and hit the ceiling and it's, it'd be too loud. That tends to be the problem I have because I'm I tend to be pushing levels in that sort of way a lot of the time. And um, you'll find as well with some of the fancier music gear. I don't know if this is what you want to be chatting about, but um, you actually want to push it a little bit. You want to get closer to that orange and because it begins to color the sound. So if you've got a nice um, tube preamp, for example, you do want to be hitting it at a certain level and kind of making use of that tube. Um, And that's normally how you go about doing it. So yeah, there's a lot to think about, Um, but yeah, definitely getting the gain right can't be understated at the start.
0: And just to describe quickly the clipping, what exactly is clipping?
1: Um, So um, with any piece of music gear, um, whether it's a preamp or it's your interface at home um, it'll be designed to take a certain um, i guess you could say size of signal a certain amount of loudness that gets fed into it and if you exceed that loudness and um, it's just not generally it's not able to handle it especially if we're talking about an interface which is something that's converting from um, analog to digital so what it's doing is it's keeping track of that analog signal um, trying to kind of write it into digital code. And if you go outside the bounds, you're kind of going outside the playground of what's acceptable for this um, this piece of gear, it's not able to record that property and you just get some sort of pop or some sort of um, artifact, you might call it, or distortion, but not the nice kind. Is that your dog that's walked in? She to visit me, I think, yeah. She just checked and just oh. walked off and said, what's he
0: Oh, she's walked off. I was hoping we could get her on screen for a second.
1: I? So I might call um. her at the end.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it. So you hold, make sure you wait around to the end of the podcast because that's when the dog walks in. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah, super. So that's clipping. And just quickly, uh, you mentioned on preamps. For people out there who might not uh, have worked with preamps before, how do they work alongside your interface? So you have your mic, you have a preamp and an interface. Anything else? Or what is the preamp?
1: Yeah, I mean, I suppose anyone who's familiar with the, f- the front panel of their interface, that will have a preamp in it. And what a preamp the pre in that it means it's it's before sending it wherever it needs to go. In this case, into the to be recorded by your computer. A lot of the times, uh, an amp means amplifier. So it's it's something that actually sets the gain, sets the level of whatever um, musical material you're working with. Now, when you get a little bit fancier, or at least you think you're a little bit fancier, uh, 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 like myself, is what I'm getting at here. Um, <laughs> it, uh, you might want to get yourself a few preamps. Um, that are separate from the ones in your interface um, and depending on the interface sometimes you can turn off the kind of built-in interface but generally the reason you would want to put a preamp in front of your the ones built into your interface is because well a few reasons it might be because um, your interface can't handle a microphone that needs a lot of gain to even you know produce some noise like that one you're using right there and um, those tend to be um, tend to require a lot of gain, I'm sure you figured that out at some stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, you might actually want to add a bit of character to your um, to your vocal performance or your microphones in general on the way in. So a lot of studio professionals, they might swear by using, say, an API preamp for the drums. Um, they might use some tube saturation preamps on vocals. Um, so there's a whole spectrum of, of preamps with different styles, what they're for. Generally, they add a little bit of sound and bring up the gain in a kind of nice and healthy way, so that it's ready to be recorded.
0: Love it. That's amazing. Really, really good. And just when you talk about the preamps as well, that that signal that you've recorded in then is locked in. It's recorded into the audio.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's it's not like quite like a plug-in where you can take it on or off, unless you set up some fancy signal routing. And um, yeah, it's whatever you run through that preamp. And this is why it's not generally considered a budget or beginner thing. Um, to be looking at a preamp, it really is kind of an accessory that is um, can offer can offer you things, but it, you really have to be in the space of mind where you know, yes, I want a preamp because I know exactly what it does, um, and once I put it on, yeah, you can't take it off because it's recorded in with that preamp uh, sound included. Yeah, and that's
0: one of the great things I love about the Apollo, where you control uh, tubes on, of course, all digital, not actual real preamps but throw them on and you can see how they sound live as you record them and then you don't have to record it in and you can put it back on the track later really really cool of course not not quite the same authenticity uh, authenticity that's the same sound although i'm sure that's another rabbit hole that we could talk about for days
1: yeah yeah that's another one
0: because <laughs> <laughs> we have to avoid the rabbit holes leave the rabbits alone kids so let's now jump when we're in the box so we've the vocal recorded in we've checked our input gain pop filters there recorded in a good take after 40 goes, and we finally got there, we've got a great lead vocal.
1: Um, what what would you do next? Um, I mean, maybe it's a bit... It's a bit of kind of I I don't want to throw out any rules here, but one of the things I tend to think about straight away with the vocals is uh, dynamics, straight away. Um, that's even before I think about the EQ. Um, I, I suppose a lot of the time when I'm mixing a vocal, and it's kind of a pop track or, or whatever, it's gonna be the primary thing that I'm working with. I always would play place it up front in the mix. I would mix around the vocals as opposed to the other way around. Depends on the style of course, but that's just, that's just my approach as well. Um, so with that in mind, first of all, if you're a singer out there and you're a bit shy of your own voice, you're gonna need to give your mix to somebody else when you're starting out because a lot of the time I hear uh, mixes with the, the lead vocal turned down all the way. And I'm thinking, well, that's the thing that people want to listen to. And just because I was thinking about this earlier, um, if you're ever in a situation where, and it happens all the time, whether it's through your phone speakers, or if you pull into kind of a petrol station or a garage, whatever you want to call it, you might hear songs playing over the radio there through less than ideal speakers. Uh, what tends to come through stronger than anything else is the vocals. Um, and that's And things that are in the charts are mixed that way for an absolute um, particular reason so um, I'm probably getting off what's the question again oh first thing to do in the box um, I would probably say yeah dynamics Um I reach for a few plugins a lot of the time and um, essentially what we want to do uh, and it depends on the performance again is kind of even out the dynamics of vocals especially in a pop context this might not come up at all if we were doing traditional kind of jazz or even some of the more classical styles you might not do this, but if you're thinking straight away, like, I want big vocals, I want upfront vocals, um, I'm looking to compress that straight away. Um, so um, either using some sort of compressor, usually a slow enough one, or one plugin that I find that really helps me a lot would be um, Waves Vocal Rider, um, And the reason is that it's really transparent. So early on in my vocal chain, I'm not trying to add any character, um, uh, I'm just trying to get it Kind of evened out a lot of the time when you record in a vocals you'll find that it's way more dynamic than anything else that you would get in uh, other than say percussion or like plucking guitar a lot of instruments um, or a lot of a lot of sounds and um, vocals not only is it super dynamic and there's a big range but you have to be very careful with it and um, say you've got a snare drum and um, i'm looking at taming those dynamics i might reach for a limiter but with vocals and um, i'm Really being very careful at the start and only applying really small little changes. And this is because a lot of the time the vocal or the loudness of a vocal at different times doesn't necessarily reflect how important the different parts of the melody are. So, what I mean by that is you'll get a really loud vocal at one point and it'll be quiet on the other. And the quiet moment isn't necessarily meant to be quieter than the other, if that makes sense. Maybe the uh, one is higher, uh, higher in volume than the other because it's also higher in pitch. And there's a lot of things kind of built into a vocal performance like that, that when it comes to actually putting it out through speakers, getting it on the radio or whatever the plan is, um, you actually have to adjust for that. Um, usually when it's a, a, a guitarist playing something in, if something is louder, it's because they meant it to be a lot of the time. But vocals, um, it's such a, a unique instrument that actually a loudness is often tied a little bit to higher notes, that sort of thing, and certain sounds as well. So um, that might bring me to the next thing, if you're happy for me to move on.
0: Yeah, just I, just one little thing on that. So your dynamic range, you basically don't want there to be too much dynamic range so you can hear every single point part of the vocal because it's the main thing.
1: Yeah, and like I said, my usual remedy for that, quick remedy, is to get out the vocal rider and basically have it so that it's it's just evening things out a little bit. You can actually stack a few of these in front of each other as well on slightly different settings, different sensitivities, and that'll just bring things in and it, it actually simulates the old studio technique where people would do that live, believe it or not. The stakes would be really high to do that where they are grabbing a fader and as someone is recording vocals they're pushing that up and down so and that's why the the interface has that little uh, mixer kind of slider there and so yeah i would do that a little bit just to get things nicely set up for the next stage of processing
0: amazing yeah love it try and flatten that dynamic range a little bit so you can hear everything even the nice little breathiness at the end like you know the offset of whatever the vocal is or that kind of stuff, love it. So dynamics really important. That it's great because you showed me the other day how how great the vocal rider is. Because I've actually had it for a while, but I haven't been making the full use of it. And you were showing me the other day, which is it's it's really something else. Although of course we shouldn't be encouraging people to go out and spending their own money. But if they, the vocal rider is pretty great.
1: Yeah, there's there's free alternatives as well. If I'm not mistaken, I can't think of them off the top of my head, but there's usually a, a free alternative. And I guess um, the reason I use the, the vocal rider is because I'm pretty lazy. Um, because there is one step before that, anyone who's used automation before, literally just automating the gain at the start and um, um, at the input stage. Uh, so not on the output of your track, but you know, automating a bit of gain with a plugin or utility plugin, or a gain, would it be a gain plugin I think in Logic, um, Trim. Um, just automating that up and down to, uh, along with the vocals. So to bring it down when it's the very loud parts um, and what you do actually is almost draw opposite the shape of the waveform sometimes. So if you get a big, say a big, um, loud part coming in, you trace the opposite shape on the way down just a little bit to kind of even those things out, bring up the quieter parts as we were talking. And that's really one of the important things is not so much about bringing down the loud, uh, the loud parts, but actually expanding and bringing up those quieter bits, like, especially as you were saying there, the End of a phrase, sometimes there's that breath, that last gasp when you just squeeze the last word out. And those things, if they're part of a performance and you know it's something that, that fits the song, it's great to kind of include them and make sure that they don't get lost in the later processes.
0: Yeah, super beautiful. So, now once you have the dynamics covered, what comes next?
1: Uh, that's the ultimate question. Um, and <laughs> I think your ears come next, and um, your ears come first at the start. I mean, as I said, um. That's great. You know, the dynamics, um, it depends on the style of music. So that's your your judgment. I can only say that if you want it up front, you generally have to do that sort of thing um, in your mix. But next, yeah, reach for your ears and see what they have to say. Um, one thing that comes up a lot um, on vocal performances would be kind of some of the consonants sticking out. So that the kind of S sound, a de would be a plug-in that I would think about using early on um, because... Essentially, towards the end of my chain, I am doing. I might be doing some heavier compression, some heavier EQ, and I want everything that I don't quite like sorted out first. Um, so I think about making small adjustments and looking in at little things that I want to take out first before I add and make it as big as I want to make it. Um, so yeah, a DS might be the next thing to do. Um, there's a loads, loads of different choices for that. There's usually one built into your DAW, and they work quite the same, a lot of them. And essentially what you're doing with a de is you're finding the frequency range where you know the thing you don't like is, it doesn't have to be an S, but if you're looking for an S, it's usually around 5K, 6K, around that sort of harsh frequency range. Um, so you set the frequency that you want to act on. Some of them let you listen specifically to that frequency band. And then um, you set a threshold. So anytime there's a lot of volume in that frequency band, um, a lot, of, a lot of sound, basically, you kind of push it down. You kind of uh, duck that down a little bit and stop it from progressing an, anymore. Um, so it's kind of, um, yeah, it's kind of a, I suppose, a multiband compressor, if you want to get a little bit technical on it. But for us, um, a lot of the time, it's just getting out S's because sometimes they come through very clearly. And if you don't take care of that early, when you move on later into the, um, you, uh, when you move later into the progr- uh, the process yeah that can be a real problem that that pes- pesky S is still hanging around
0: mm. and when when you're doing this process now with say checking out the S's and watching out for the dynamic range are you mixing it in with the track are we listening to other other things at the same time or are you going to do a bit of work on the vocal first on its own in solo and then listen to other things
1: I think that's very much um uh that, that's very much part of an individual process. Um some people I know they start always with the drums, they start with the vocals. I tend to do the vocals early enough, um get them kind of sorted out in a very basic way. So that's literally like I talked about some of the dynamics, the S's, that sort of thing. Get it sounding good. And then when I wanted to fit into a mix a little bit more, yeah, from that point on I'm not really soloing too often. I'm really seeing, well, how does it fit now at this stage? but there are some, if you have an idea in your head of, you know, that's not a nice S that's not a, there's a bit of harshness in that range straight away. You can begin to work with that on solo. I think, yeah, what you're saying there about listening to something, you know, within a mix. Yeah. That's generally a good thing to do. So we want to be hopping in and out of that all the time, even if you think you can get it handled solo, it's always good to have, um, an idea of the greater context. Um, and that's why when I'm mixing in general, the first thing I do is set the levels the way I want them. So I, if, if I want a loud bass drum, even if it's not a good sounding one yet, I make it loud. So get all those levels done first, and then you can think about your EQs and your everything else.
0: Beautiful. So at this stage you have recorded in the vocal, you've gotten rid of all the, maybe not the nice sounds like your, your de or say or the S's, and you've also made the dynamic range narrower so that it's uh, the, the, <laughs> the dynamic range isn't as large so next i suppose we kind of have the creative freedom right the next stage is kind of creativity what do you like what do you want to put in the track whether it's maybe a bit of distortion on the vocal or a bit of reverb uh is there any things you think could be cool say to experiment with with your vocal sounds
1: yeah absolutely um yeah i mean as i kind of said before um vocals is such a unique instrument um it's Uh, Everyone tends to have a unique process for vocals compared to any of the other instruments that they use. Um, So you're going to be doing something different to vocals than you would to uh, everything else. Generally, you want to treat it very respectfully and you don't want to do too much to it because the human ear is really sensitive to uh, vocals and if you add too much processing, really quickly you can begin to turn it into something other than a vocal. Once again, that's part of style. I mean, if you're making some trap or something like that, you know, you, ha- you nearly have to reach for uh, auto-tune at this stage. So yeah, creative stuff um, would come up next. And um, I definitely, some of the stuff I've had success in the past um, with vocals would definitely be, like you said, distortion, I think is a really um, cool effect. Um, now, when some people reach for distortion, um, they could put it on the vocals and it, you might think, well, that goes against everything you just said about treating the vocals with respect and you don't wanna put too many effects on them but with distortion what I tend to do would be add that in parallel and that doesn't have to be too complicated there's different ways of setting up parallel processes in every DAW but in a lot of distortion plugins especially the ones that I tend to favor and use they will have a mix button at the very end so it's kind of built into the plugin so I'm not using just the distorted vocals I am distorting the vocals and picking a sound that's nice um, and then mixing that in with the clean vocals, and what that actually does is, again, it thickens up, gives it more body, um, and yeah, adding that in can be really great. Uh, if if I really want it to be kind of, if I'm looking for down the centre, in your face sort of vocals, distortion is my one of my main things I think about, and it can still sound clean because it's parallel. So a lot of the a lot of the the diction, the transients, that whole thing is coming through naturally and um, but everything in between some of the vowels some of the sustain they have that little bit of kind of extra meat to them because of the um distortion
0: and what's the benefit or loss or what's the yeah benefit in each to putting say reverb on the track parallel like paralleled or putting it on a bus
1: yeah um that's a big thing as well with uh Getting your mix to sound professional, generally you want a send track or a bus to bus out everything to the same reverb to make it sound in the same room. I mean, one of the things that comes up a lot, especially with kind of amateur mixes, is that the vocals and everything else sound super separate from each other, and that's only natural. Um, because if you're using a recorded drum set, for for example, or even samples of a recorded drum set, that was recorded in a certain room. And if your vocals don't share that room, they're gonna sound separate. So one, one way to remedy that and kind of glue things together is to have a common reverb that everything goes to. Um, and so you get that kind of sort of effect there. I suppose if you're putting a reverb, or if I'm anyway, putting a reverb specifically on a vocal track, it's because I'm thinking of it more as an effect as opposed to uh, glue or ambience in the track I'm thinking about well I want this vocal to sound a particular way and that's kind of a creativity thing again similar to autotune it's not for everything but sometimes I might put a, a kind of a stranger more artificial sounding reverb like a lo-fi reverb um, on the actual track um, and the reason I do that as I said is it's it's a creative thing it's a creative call and um, but it's it's a different way of thinking than um, oh I wanted to have you know to fit in the room and just have this nice clean sort of reverb sound that's my distinction anyway most of the time
0: yeah super and along with reverb another very popular creative tool we have is delay how would you use delay or is there any tips you have for maybe even bringing the vocal out front or just cool things that you think sound good or slap back delay that's something that's, that, that, that gets talked about a whole lot
1: yeah i mean there's there's a huge amount in that as well and um, delays are even kind of chorusing effects as well which were actually types of delays and um, uh, big topic <laughs> where to start where to start well there's two types of delays first of all in my head that i'd be thinking about and um, if i want to give something kind of a shimmery effect or just kind of make it a bit larger overall i'll start thinking about really clean delays i might put them on a slap back or i might put them you know um, um a quarter note and um, apart from the original and mix that to taste I could put that on a send as well sometimes I send a lot of things to the same delay as well to glue them that way and um, so there's a lot of lot you can do there the most powerful thing with a delay is the mix that you use of it um, and how many repeats there are the second type of delay that I would think about and this again is if you want a delay and it's hard to describe it this way but I'll do my best. Um, If you want a delay to be a big part of the arrangement and something that you can absolutely hear as a delay, almost a repeat, um, but you don't want it to crowd the actual main vocal, I would start um, looking for something like a tape delay then, something with a lot of character. Um, I use some emulations of the Memory Man, the kind of old pedal series that has a really kind of dirty effect as well. Um, you could think about rolling Space Echoes as well, Any clones of that are pretty good. Um, and the reason, as I said, you do that is you want it to be up front, but that it doesn't, it kind of has a different frequency um, kind of fingerprint to it. So those kind of dirtier delays, they'll tend to have kind of almost a bandpass effect. And so that means when you hear the delay come in, it doesn't sound like the originals. It's, it's kind of a lo-fi thing again. And so that's something I would put maybe on the individual track if I really want to kind of, again, go for kind of an effecty sort of sound. And that doesn't, that kind of works in the background with maybe background vocals and synths and guitars and that sort of thing.
0: I love that. That's really, really cool. That's actually something I've been looking at a lot recently where you could, it's the same with backing vocals. You can have multiple ones of them, but if you say step back a little bit, you're getting slightly different frequencies or different, you know, character or an overtones, possibly like different. It's not exactly the same sound, so that's really interesting. Having slightly different delays and maybe slightly dirtier, di- dirtier delays or your tape delay, just to change the sound, the body of the sound, so it's separated.
1: And that's another thing as well with background vocals. While you're on the subject, because we're still in the vocal domain, for sure. A lot of the time, you don't want your vocals, your background vocals, to compete with the main vocal as well. So my approach again is to treat it differently to the main vocals. So what I mean by that is I might EQ them in completely different ways. And this would be in my later stage of treating vocals, I would look at then kind of adding EQs that have a bit of character to them and doing more general work. So not just zoning in on a frequency like with a DS or, or an EQ going, oh, I don't like that right there. And doing a really kind of tight cue, a tight cutoff or pinch. Um, of a specific frequency, later on I start looking, well, what can I add to this? Maybe I need to boost the high end, shelve off some of that low, or maybe it needs a bit of presence, I'll boost the mid-range a bit. And whatever I do with the lead vocal, um, whether that's double tracked or not, um, if I'm looking at something as a background vocal, I will start to take out frequencies and make it a bit less full, and that will send it into the background. Um, One of the things that, sometimes um, people don't realize with mixing is that yes you've got your left to right panning and there's kind of a stereo field in what you're doing but there's also an implied depth to your mix as well so the, the the front and the back and it's got to do with the way our ears hear things so you know, if you've listened to any kind of older recordings, any of the fifties jazz stuff, you can hear the room they're in. Sometimes you can hear that because the drums are loud, they were over on the other side of the room and they were recorded. And you know, that sort of effect and your ears can pick that up. And essentially how that gets across to us is um, a lot of the time when you're far away from, from something um, some of the high end frequencies get rolled off a little bit. So just something as simple as um, say um, a high cut filter low pass, whatever you want to call it, and adding that to a background vocals, shaving off some of that top end will make it seem like it's further away because that's what happens in the the real world as well. That's the kind of effect you'll emulate. So um, definitely think about, um, I often place my lead vocal right in the dead center. Um, No panning on it, except for maybe the effects I might pan. And then background vocals, I'm trying to push them out to the sides and push them back behind in the kind of virtual space that you're creating. So that's another thing um, that I think is a really powerful effect.
0: That's so cool. I love that. I I, I love the technicalities and reason for why you would uh, shave off some of the high end because that's what happens sonically, like in in the physics of the wavelength. Further away, less high end. Just, just like the effect where you're outside the building and you hear just the low end, the thumping of the bass and the kick. That's really, really cool. And I love, I love the way you can uh, look at the real, the physics, the real life stuff and how it, how it brings across. And then, an early, like the panning, like how would you pan a drum? You pan maybe the high hats to the one side as you would see it if you were listening to a, dr- if you were looking at a drummer playing.
1: Another debate there that, as well. We do really do cool. you want to pan it as you're the drummer or you're the Kind of person listening to the drums, and it'd be the other way around. So, yeah. stage left or right, you know that kind of. I'm I'm a big fan of
0: panning for the audience because you know the listener is the audience. You, you kind of they want to imagine the people in front of them. Anyway, we another rabbit hole, and actually, we got asked recently on one of the community posts on YouTube to uh, talk about how to produce drums. So I might get you back for another one of those if
1: possible. That's a big one. We might need to. Yeah,
0: <laughs> part one of fifty. <laughs>
1: There's so many different instruments on in that, so yeah.
0: One last effect I want to ask you about is saturation on vocals. What are your thoughts or where would we where would we use it and what benefit does it have?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the the hot topic at the moment is saturation, how you use and that that sort of thing. There's a number of different ways of getting saturation. Um it could be through a preamp like we talked about earlier, whether that's a plug-in preamp or one that you've got on your outboard gear but definitely it's something I would look at um, with some of the preamp emulations I have, just they might, you might open up a plugin and go, well, what is this thing for? Especially if you've got a bundle and one of them just has gain on it, you might think, well, I don't need another utility plugin, but actually um, that's emulating a preamp and by turning up the gain, we're getting into that orange territory I was talking about earlier, where we're kind of exciting the frequency spectrum a little bit and adding a bit of saturation to it. So that's something worth thinking about there. And um, further along, we can think about um distortion is a type of saturation as well, so mixing that in as well, um, and limiting or any kind of hard compression will give you a form of saturation as well. So um, that's another thing that depends on the track. Sometimes you want to absolutely slam the vocals. If it's if it's hip-hop, sometimes I'm looking for something that does slam the vocals and add some character because anytime you compress something you don't compress it evenly so it, it's kind of like an EQ built in but also you s- saturate a lot of the different um, a lot of the waveform as well so um, you want to factor that in and you might you might do a really um, a hard saturation on something and then that technique that you might pick up there in that style of music you could and this is this is how I got into kind of distorting a lot of clean vocals and you could find that actually that works really well in parallel then in a kind of a cleaner environment, whatever way you want to to say it. Um, So you'd look at something uh, absolutely, again, just doing some really strong compression on a vocal and it might not sound good on its own, but if you mix that with the dry signal, you can get a really beautiful sound. Um, So, yeah, so think about saturating um, at all different stages. And then if you want to get more technical, There are some plugins, I know you've used a few by Oak Sound and that sort of thing that do a little bit of saturation in specific frequency bands as well, so getting stuff to pop out in different zones and that's kind of like a, the way I would think about that sort of thing a lot of time is it's like a characterful EQ Um, and one thing that you might want to think about when you're doing your vocal chain as well is at the start we're looking at EQing to fix things and get things right, but at some point you want to just EQ maybe to just add an extra layer to it. And then I would look for ones that don't just, that aren't like um, kind of straightforward particular EQs. I'm looking for ones that just shelve up the high end and add that layer of kind of saturation and um, just beauty to the sound, so, yeah.
0: Okay, one last question, because I know you have to go. Thank you so much for your time so far. So what, if you were producing pop, what would your vocal chain be?
1: (sighs) It's different, different every time. Um, of course. so, as I said, we're going through one, maybe two vocal riders at the start. Um, I nearly feel like I have to open up a project here. Um, <laughs> I would probably um, put in Omni Omnichannel at some stage, which is also by Waves. Um, I do a bit of saturation on the preamp of that. Um, I may or may not gate it, probably not for, for lighter sort of styles of music. Um, that's where my de is most of the time as well. And I might do some light compression. Um, at this stage, um, and also a bit of EQ on the way out as well. So I might add um, to give it a bit more. Always listening to the full track at this stage. If I'm doing that sort of EQ, I have to listen to it in context. And um, then at the end, if I really want to to take it to the next level, then I might do something closer to a to a limiter at the end or some harder EQ towards the end of that bus. Um, and then of course I start thinking about panning and that sort of thing. I'm going to have a lot of sends as well. I'll usually send the vocal to the, the main reverb, I usually will have a delay send for it. And if I'm doing um other delays as well, I'm I'm mixing that in either on the track or on separate um sends and buses and all that sort of thing as well. So there's a lot that goes into the kind of back end of that that's particular track by track. Oh and I suppose depending on the performance as well I might have a bit of um Anter is autotune at the start um, and the settings that I use in that very widely. If I want to do something that's you know a bit modern sounding i might crank it but um yeah um i think people might be offended by how often i actually reach for that uh when they probably (laughs) wouldn't want me to
0: Aye, but look tuning's important tuning's important actually the editing stage we just glossed over but you know we'll leave that for another time but the
1: breaths oh man yeah a lot (laughs) to talk about a lot to talk about
0: yeah making sure all your transients match up nicely with all the bv so it's nice and thick and pop perfect yeah, that's, that's a conversation for another time. But thank you so much, Richard. I really, really appreciate your time. Wow, talk about all the great information here. Everyone can even listen back to it at stages where they're like, oh, I'm recording vocals. Wait, what did Richard say that time about this thing? And they can go listen back. Can people find you anywhere? Would you like people to find you anywhere?
1: <laughs> um, I'm a little bit off the grid, as I was saying earlier in that respect. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm around... Um, people can reach out or if they're looking specifically for any business inquiries or want to get a mix or, or a master or that sort of thing off of me and um, toshmolloy at gmail.com that's t-o-s-h-m-o-l-l-o-y at gmail.com um, and reach out and i'd be happy to work with just about anybody so
0: yeah great stuff
1: unless they're mean people who are mean send them away yeah yeah <laughs> send them I'll, I'll send them on to you
0: yeah no or just take them and charge them double i don't know <laughs> Okay, thank you so much, Richard. And I don't know—I don't even know if I mentioned that at the start, we do work together. We're working together at the Irish Institute of Music and Song. And I'm repping the... Yeah, <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow. I'm repping the hoodie here. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Cool.
0: Absolutely. Right, hopefully we'll chat to you soon because you've so much good knowledge the, the world would love to hear. All right, catch you next time. Cheers.